0: Today we're going to talk about art-driven game development. everyone, welcome to the 59th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zachavelli. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Zacavelli underscore and tune in for Game Dev streams on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at noon Eastern and that's at twitch.tv slash Zacavelli underscore. Lastly, I want to mention that we do have a community discord and we're almost up to a thousand members. Once we get to 1,000 members, we'll be taking some votes and figuring out if there's some changes we want to make going forward. I think largely the goal will still be just the same. We just want to maybe make some updates. So if you want to be part of that vote, make sure that you're in the community Discord. I'll leave a link for it in the show notes. With the intro out of the way, let's go on over to the Game Dev Challenge. The Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where I provide a prompt for the listeners and it's intended as like a 15 to 30 minute exercise that kind of reinforces the themes of the topic of the episode. You then post your exercise or theme or your submission rather to the Game Dev Challenge channel on the community Discord. We vote on which one is our favorite and we read the winner on the next episode. Last episode's Game Dev Challenge was to come up with a game mechanic or entire game targeted for mobile that separates the action and the input. Remember, last episode was about mobile game development, and I said that I think one of the key things that really works for mobile games is separating the action and the input. Because it's such a small screen, you can't really have like the inputs of the game happening at the same time as the action. You want to try and separate them so that your fingers aren't covering what you're supposed to be looking at. So yeah, the winner of the Episode 58 Game Dev Challenge is Bastis. Bastis's post says, This was inspired by Zaccavelli's story about his inspiration for Bounce Shot. He used to play a game as a kid where you bounce ping pong balls off random things into a cup. In this game, the ball is shot from a fixed position with fixed velocity and angle. The target is also fixed. The objective of the game is to carefully place and rotate objects like pots, pans, leaf blowers, sleeping turtles. <laughs> that's a, that's a, a strange organization of objects, but nonetheless, uh, to carefully place the objects for the ball to bounce on. When you're happy with the placement, you hit the button and shoot the ball. If the ball misses the target, you can rearrange the objects and try again. As the game progresses, you get more difficult levels, like longer distances and more obstacles, but you also gain access to more kinds of objects to place for more varied gameplay. Additionally, when the ball is in motion, you can swipe anywhere on the screen to add a gust of wind in that direction. That way you can potentially save an otherwise missed shot. This separates the input and action in two ways. Most of the input is done before the action starts in the game loop, and for the wind, you can swipe on a part of the screen where nothing important is going on. I think Bastis has designed a game loop that works really well uh, for a mobile game because, like he said, it separates the actions and the inputs. If you think about it, you'll have one part of the game loop where you're setting things up. In other words, not a lot of action is happening. You're just kind of moving things and placing and getting everything right for the ball to bounce on. And then I assume you press like a go button or something like that. And that's when the action happens. And then you can just hold your phone and watch it play out. I also like this idea because it has a very tight uh, core game loop, which I think works well on mobile. That sort of game loop of quick iterations, especially for like puzzles games or physics puzzle games like this one. And I'm sure you've seen the ads for <laughs> all the other physics puzzle games. I think what attracts so many people to those on the mobile platform is that they have a quick core game loop. So if you can only play for 15 minutes, you get uh, all the way through the loop like a bunch of times in that 15-minute session. So yeah, congrats to Bastus for winning the Episode 58 Game Dev Challenge. For the Episode 59 Game Dev Challenge, I want you to screenshot and submit some test art. Today I'm going to talk about what test art is and the benefits of it. And it's been a while, actually, since we've done an art-focused game dev challenge. So I thought this would be a really good opportunity for you to try and make some test art once you learn what it is. And screenshot it and submit it. This is the one of those ones where I think you're really going to benefit from participating uh, because it's just straight-up practice. So, yeah, even if you don't win the game dev challenge, you're just sharpening your art skill even more and getting used to making test art. So yeah, if you'd like to participate, just go on over to the community Discord, go to the Game Dev Challenge channel, and submit a screenshot of your test art. With the Game Dev Challenge out of the way, let's move on over to the body of the episode. Today's episode is about art-driven game design, and this is something I think I've been thinking about more and more, and I've adapted a few methods from this strategy to my own game development strategies. With that being said, I personally am still very much a game mechanics driven game developer because game mechanics I think are what I'm strong at. Like usually I focus on finding the fun even if it's ugly and then I polish it up later uh, to make it look nice. But what we're going to discover today is that there's something to be said for focusing on the art first and having that drive the game's development. So yeah, today's episode is going to be one part planning, one part art, one part marketing, and one part game design. And the first thing I want you to realize is that everyone has a process that works for them or their team. I'm not saying that art-driven game development is the best way to do it, but we can objectively look at its benefits and take the best ideas or the things that maybe we like the most as individuals and adapt those to our own strategies. So yeah, for some of you with maybe more of an art background, this is going to make a lot of sense. And others like me who have strengths in other places, maybe you just want to pick and choose the bits that you think you could use. Either way, let's get started. Let's talk about right up front what is the biggest strength of art-driven game development. The strength in my eyes of art-driven game development is that it just markets better. Your game gets more attention, and in game dev, attention is key. We all know how easy it is to get lost in the crowd with so many games being released. With art-driven game design, you can get attention sooner for your game. And I would say maybe even more attention on the whole. Like, tweeting a piece of beautiful art from your game is going to have way more mass appeal than tweeting about a back-end system. No matter how nice or interesting the code is, it only appeals to other people who can appreciate that. But pretty much every human who can see can appreciate beautiful pixel art. So yeah, it's really just a more of fewer people can appreciate really smart and interesting pieces of code or even game design, and more people can appreciate a beautiful pixel art, or any art, really. And that's not to say that I think one is more important than the other. I just think that art, flat out, has more mass appeal. Doing the art first also has several strategic advantages. Starting with art allows you to get material out there for your game and lets you get a buzz going around your game sooner. I think we've talked in the past about the importance of getting a Steam page set up as soon as possible and starting to collect wish lists. And what do you think is going to make for a better Steam page that gets wishlisted? A page that is light on gameplay, but has many well-drawn pieces of art with GIFs and videos showing the intended gameplay in motion? Or a page with white boxes and stick figures? Maybe it even has a fully functional demo, but still you're looking at just white boxes and stick figures. And I know that there's some of you out there who are saying, well, I would prefer the stick box demo. But you have to remember that you're making games for others. And you're making games that you want to get mass attention. And the truth is, I think, probably like 8 out of 10 people judge the book by its cover. So if the cover doesn't look nice, i.e. the art, they're not going to care. Speaking of judging the book by its cover, the other thing that doing art first game design allows you to do is find out which cover, so to speak, people like the most. At the end of the day, whether or not someone gives your game a look on Steam is going to majorly depend on art. The art has to be intriguing enough for them to see your game in a pile of others and pick it out. With art-first game development, you can find out what kind of cover works first. You can develop a look for your game that is going to grab people's attention and when you do this you can find out what works and what doesn't. And once you have something that you know works then you can build the rest of the game. And that conundrum of, well this is a great game mechanically but people judge it by its cover and so they don't buy it, that problem is fixed. Of course now you kind of have the opposite trap. Uh, Well, the game looks great, but mechanically it's very shallow, broken, or bad. But honestly, I think that might be a better problem because, I don't know, it's like heartbreaking to have a game that is mechanically good, but people don't give it a chance because of the art. So yeah, I guess art-first game development makes sure that people are going to give it a chance, so long as you execute on the art design successfully. So we kind of know what the strengths are, but how do we actually execute on artistically driven game development? Well, let's start with a technique that I adapted to my own design methods called art testing. Art testing is essentially just prototyping the look of your game. In the same way you might prototype a game mechanic with bare bones art and polish, you do art testing by prototyping it with bare bones mechanics and functionality. Like the game doesn't really have to work, you just need it to look like it works you're trying to get a sense of the final look of the game, mostly paying attention to how it looks in motion. I think seeing it as an art prototype really helps. Like, you might have a crazy idea for making a game with claymation graphics. Art testing is the perfect opportunity to try it out. Now there's a few things to consider and evaluate when doing your art testing. The first one is that can you achieve what you are going for? And by this I mean not only are you getting the results you want, but are you getting the results that can be made into a video game? Let's say you want to go for an electric LED forest aesthetic for your game. You jump into Blender and make a super detailed tree object with LED light fashionably strung up on it. Each light has its own light source so that the forest glows with a moving LED light show. It's a really cool idea and you get it into your game engine of choice and do an art test. It works great and glows just how you want it but you discover that with just the environment art and maybe a character controller, you're at like 10 frames per second. This is an example of something that looks great, but likely won't work as a game. You're already at the bare bones and the frame rate is absolutely tanked. Now of course there are some efficiency and performance tweaks you could make, but just keep in mind that you aren't just making art. You're making art for a video game. With this thought in mind, you'll get a sense for how easy this look is going to adapt to a game and how much work it's going to be. I think part of art testing is just getting a sense for the workload that is going to be required to pull off the look. Like, let's say you do lots of intensive changes to the forest of LEDs. And through some really crazy art techniques and a lot of work, you figure out how to get it to look nice at 60fps. Maybe the process required some lighting tricks and hand-painted textures, for each individual tree. Well you've solved your performance problem but now you have a workload problem because yeah your game looks awesome and it runs great but if it takes you 40 hours every time you want to add a model to the game that's not really going to be sustainable and of course that's a crazy like extremist example usually you can make compromises uh, to make something work but I just wanted to bring to light the considerations you should be making when doing the art test And the workload to pull off the look is definitely one of those things to consider. One of the other considerations I think you should make is, does the art work for the game in the sense of the actual gameplay? Like certain art forms are not going to work for certain game ideas. And it usually comes down to the idea of readability. We've talked about readability in the past. But essentially, it's about how fast your player can look at the screen and figure out what's going on. There are certain art forms and art styles, like cubism, for example, where it takes a second of gazing to really figure out what's going on. And I would call this low readability. In most cases, low readability is bad for games. I think it's actually good for art because you have to look at it and like appreciate it for a lot longer. But for games, it just takes too long it you can't figure out what's going on uh, at a glance and it's not that I don't think you couldn't make cubism work but if you think about it if you're making an FPS or fighting or platforming game low readability is going to be super frustrating for your player those game genres depend on clear readability so that the player can make quick recognitions and decisions You don't want the player to be in the middle of a firefight and have to examine the screen in the middle of a tense moment like how you would at an art gallery and stroke their chin thinking, hmm, is that an enemy or a power-up? You want them to know right away at a glance. One of the places or pitfalls that I see a lot, especially with platforming games, is low readability in terms of what you can actually jump on. There are some art forms and just some art direction that makes it hard for the player to figure out what is a platform and what isn't a platform. So this is one of those things I think you should also be aware of when considering readability. Like I said, you certainly could make a low readability thing like cubism work. And art testing might be a place where you would figure this out. Like with a slower paced point and click mystery game, cubism might actually work and you should use your art test to feel this out. That whole thing where with cubism where you have to take a second to really ponder and think about what you're looking at might actually lend itself pretty well to a point and click mystery game. So yeah I guess the art test would be a good time to sort of feel this out. Speaking of feeling things out The last thing you can use an art test for is to find out if other people like the art style as much as you do. Like we said earlier, the art and aesthetics drive the success of a game. It's a huge factor in someone's mind when they're deciding if they're going to click on your game when they see it on Steam, for example. The beauty of art-driven game design and doing this first is that you can get an idea of what kind of art really works for people before building the entire project. You can have that hook of interesting aesthetics already built in, and design the game around that, rather than having the game made and trying to find an art style that works with it technically and mechanically. When you build the game first and then try to adapt an art style to it, you don't have as much data about whether or not it catches people's eyes. When you do an art test, a super useful thing to do is to get together a few screenshots and maybe even some bare-bones gameplay or just fake gameplay, like put it in a video and just animate it. By that I mean you don't even have to code the actual game. You can just use, I don't know, I would use like the Unity animator and just make it look like it's working. Anyways, you can take some assets like that and put it out on social media and judge the response. If you put something out there and nobody is really feeling it, then you haven't invested too much time and you know that look may not work. That way you can scrap that idea and move on to something else. Imagine if it was the other way around and you had built this very complex back-end system and coded all these features into the game. And then you put the art in and you realize no one is really interested. You've invested so much time in this and now you're going to scrap it anyways when you could have figured that out by just doing the art in the first place. On the flip side, if you put out these art tests and they get a really good reception, you know you're moving in the right direction. By using your art tests as a guiding light, you can essentially pitch game ideas for little risk as these kinds of art tests aren't too time intensive to make. You can pitch like five game ideas a week if you really worked at it. Whereas if you built the game first, uh, all the systems and features and stuff like I was saying, there's no way you could pitch that many games. So yeah, I guess art tests are a really good way to get the feelers out there and find out if a project is worth pursuing. I will admit that this does depend on you having a baseline social media presence, and that's really more of a whole topic for another episode. But I would say even if you don't have too many followers, now is a good time to start practicing putting stuff like art tests out. The worst case scenario is nobody sees it and you get some practice in. And in the best case, you start to build an audience and maybe even discover a potential art style or game idea that really resonates with people. The next benefit of art-driven game design is sort of a passive benefit that you may not think of at first, but it's something that I have really come to appreciate about art-driven game design, or game development, rather. When you focus on the art first, and making something that looks nice from the start, it's easier to stay motivated. I think we all know how hard it can be to stay motivated on a project. Like, you have something that you work on every day, and sooner or later it becomes a little tiresome. And when the finish line feels so far away, it can be super hard to keep pushing through. But when you have art that looks nice, art that closely resembles what the final game will look like, it feels like you are closer to the finish line. I think you almost trick yourself because at a glance it looks deeper than it is. It's the same way you trick yourself when you look at a game project that's all white-boxed, or just placeholder art, and at a glance you think, wow, this has a long way to go. But when it has final art, it feels more like it's closer to the end, even if it's not. I think it's an often overlooked and valuable passive thing that happens with art-first game development. It just feels more complete and isn't as demotivating as a project with obvious placeholder art. Let's do a quick recap of what we talked about today. Today's episode was about art-driven game development. This is the idea of focusing on nailing the art first and adapting a game to the art, as opposed to getting the mechanics and systems made and then putting a skin on it. Remember that everyone has a process that works personally for them, so feel free to pick and choose ideas from the different ways of going about game development and finding something that works for you. Art-first game development has a few advantages. It markets better and sooner, and it's easier to grow an audience because things are looking eye-catching from the start. It also allows you to figure out what art will work with a general audience. And since whether or not the art looks good is a huge influence on someone decides to check out your game, it's nice to have this figured out early. Remember that art testing is a great technique that you do when you do art-first game development. Art testing is basically prototyping the game art. You're not really building a game, you're just getting something that is close to the final art and seeing it in motion. Oftentimes you're even faking the gameplay by just making things move around on the screen as if there was a real game there. When doing an art test, we talked about four major things to consider. See if the art looks nice, if you can achieve the look you were going for. See if it's doable or how much effort it would take to make it. See what kind of game mechanics work with the art style you're going for. When you do this, remember to consider readability. And the last thing to consider is to see if others like it. Put it out on social media and gauge the interest. Lastly, remember that we talked about how focusing on art first game development makes you feel like you're closer to the finish line at a glance. And because of that, it's easier to stay motivated on your project. That is a passive benefit that goes underappreciated, and I think it could sway any doubters of art-first game development. So yeah, that's going to do it for me today. If you're interested in seeing some art-first game development in action, it's actually kind of a technique that I'm going for for my next game. And I work on it every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at noon Eastern. I think when this episode comes out, I'll actually be uh, out on a little camping trip for July 4th. But yeah, my next stream it will probably be on the 8th of July. And then after that, I'll be back to my regular stream schedule. Like I said, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at noon. I've been really enjoying streaming uh, game dev in front of you guys. It makes a lot of the tedious things a lot easier because you can kind of just hang out with chat. We often discuss game design topics, games in general, and all sorts of other stuff. So yeah, come swing by. That's at twitch.tv slash underscore. I'll leave a link to it in the show notes. You know where to find me on the other places, twitter at underscore underscore, and on the discord there's a link to it in the show notes. So yeah, if you have any thoughts about the episode, feel free to reach out to me and let me know. With that, I'm going to sign off. I have been Zacchavelli, and my whole cover art argument is kind of blown up by the NES Mega Man art. I can't believe anyone saw that cover and thought, yeah, this game is going to be sweet.